Right. So bear with me. I want to talk today a little bit about systemic social problems. And I know that's a contentious subject and you're probably assuming a few things already just by me saying that, but I think I want to put a different spin on it and just hopefully get you thinking. So let's start by defining what a systemic problem is, at least a systemic problem when it comes to human behavior. So one of the obvious ways of, you know, saying a systemic problem is that it's widespread, you know, among many, many people. That's pretty, pretty easy definition. And uh, we see it on the large scale for systemic issues, at, at least on the large uh, scale that's publicized. Right. We've heard the term, you know, systemic racism, systemic sexism, things of that nature. Um, we're going to talk today a little bit about how systemic problems, systemic behavioral problems um are beyond just that and they're also interpersonal just in yourself and the people that you know and work with uh especially as an artist because you know behavior and human uh just a human experience is important to artists at least i found that to be true so i'm going to start by defining what a systemic problem is uh, a systemic behavior or social problem and there's a lot of different ways to go about defining it but the definition that hits home with me the most and that i'm going to throw at you today is as follows a systemic problem, social problem, a systemic social behavioral problem can be defined by a problem that you might be participating in and not realize it. Or a variation on that is you might be participating in it, but you're rationalizing it. Okay, that is a systemic problem. And how do we define a problem? Well, that's open-ended. Now, at that point, we have to have discussions about, the, you know, the relativity of morality and everything else. So we're not going to do that today. I want to talk to you today about your systemic behavioral problems inside yourself that you may not realize you're doing. Okay? Some of them are pretty obvious and some of them maybe not. I don't even have a complete list sitting in front of me, as is my way when I record. But I think the key, for me anyway, the place I want to start is to draw some parallels with some of the larger scale, more publicized systemic problems. I mentioned the two big ones that everybody talks about, systemic racism and systemic sexism. I'm, I'm gonna choose uh, sexism to talk about real quick. It's all been talked about a million times, but how do we participate in systemic sexism? Now, I know it's contentious and I know some of you already even some of you ladies, but fellas, I can hear you. You're already telling me, you know, women can be sexist too. Okay, just relax. At the end of the day, we have to look at statistics. We have to look at what the outcomes are of our behaviors. And in systemic sexism, we look at the statistics and they don't lie. Okay, there's rampant sexism across the world. It's actually better in the United States than in most places. Okay, but it's still rampant. It's probably the biggest systemic problem that we have on a social scale, certainly the one that gets the most attention and rightfully so. Okay, but how are you participating in that? Let's say you are a, a guy because if we're talking about sexism, we're mostly talking about men being biased against women. Most of the time, that's what we're talking about. Sorry, but that's true. Statistics don't lie. So let's talk about that for a second. How can you as a guy be involved in sexism if you are potentially actively against the idea. Well, it's very simple. I can draw a parallel as me as a parent. Okay. I have two sons and a daughter. 
My daughter's my oldest. She's currently 19. Okay. My sons are 17 and 14 as of this recording. Now, if I were to decide that things that my sons want to do in this world, to go out for a day, to take a trip, to be involved in something, if I decide that they can do that because they ask my permission and they're of age where they should be asking my permission for things, um, if I say, yeah, sure, no problem. But if I turn around with my 19-year-old daughter who asks the same thing and I tell her, mm, well, I mean, I guess you can, but you have to be mindful of X, Y, Z and this and that and this and this and this and that. Now on the surface, me giving her all these warnings because she's female about how the world can work. On the surface, it seems like I'm trying to just be real with her. The reality of the dangers of being a woman. And that is true. But am I going to limit something that she wants to do? Not that I have a whole lot of control of my 19-year-old, but when she was younger. Am I going to limit her because, hey, it's dangerous? And justify that position because of the statistics that I already shouted about. Sounds rational, doesn't it? It sounds like a good idea. I should be protective of my daughter. Well, sure. But everyone's threshold is going to be a little different. But at what point am I protecting my daughter? And at what point am I limiting her because I'm participating in the idea that she, as a woman, is not going to be able to handle the world because of perceived threats? That also assumes that my sons have no threats out there or little threat. They do. Okay. Certainly a young child has a threat in general. You see, so now we think, oh, okay, we have to protect children. You don't send a 12 year old in certain situations without guidance or without supervision, or without something, regardless of gender. But if I'm treating my daughter a certain way and justifying it because of whatever, but I would allow my son to do it, that's hypocrisy, no way around it. And People justify this because at the end of the day, most parents do not set up their children with enough real world knowledge and ways to, you know, critically think and process everything that happens in the world, question everything, really analyze it, and look at the situation and make the best decisions possible. Experience counts for a lot. Kids don't have experience, but you can at least set them up with the idea of how to think, the concepts of thinking. And if I feel like I've done that confidently, you know, you're always going to worry a little bit because you worry about your loved ones, especially your children. But if I've done that confidently, then why shouldn't my daughter go do that thing she wants to do? That's exactly what my sons want to do. There's no reason to give her this long justification why you can't or I'm not going to. I know I can't control you because you're 19, but I really strongly suggest you don't do that. While the 17 and 14 year old will do the same thing. And I know some of you are still listening right now saying, but Nino. It's not the same thing. Women are more at risk, especially young women. And you'd be right. But see, the message that I'm sending my daughter by treating her unfairly compared to her brothers is a very powerful message. So instead of, as George Carlin says, instead of trying to, you know, avoid undermining my own bullshit as a parent because I'm an authority figure, I challenge them, my kids, to question everything, including me. So if I'm participating in the systemic bias under whatever justification, if my daughter says, look, 
I know what you're concerned about. Okay. But you do allow my brothers to do this. I know what you're concerned about. I'm not naive. You've taught me well, or I have figured this out. I've done it already. I know what to watch out for. I'm taking XYZ precautions. She doesn't even have to tell me that at her age, but she can just tell me, pat me on the shoulder and say, okay, boomer, relax. And I have to check myself and think that I just justify a position that's unfair because of whatever reason. That's participating in a systemic bias of some manner. There are nuances and details there and context and uh, backgrounds, all that plays into it. So I'm not trying to oversimplify naively, okay? But it's sort of like uh, anybody you may know who might hit you with a line like, I, I don't have any issue with those kind of people, but you know, <laughs> how many times have you heard that? I don't really care about LGBTQ people doing whatever they want to do. That's perfectly fine. But you know how they are, right? Those are things people say that are actively participating in a very obvious systemic bias of some manner. And there's all kinds of justifications. Now, those are the big ones. Those are the big social ones that everybody talks about and gets all the headlines. But what about inside you? What kind of systemic bias and systemic problems are you, you know, sort of continuing? Well, there could be quite a few of them. Okay. So one of the main ones as an artist is the idea that you're not an artist. Okay. That is a bias. That is a absolute cognitive bias. And it's a systemic bias amongst artists, people who make art, who participate in the creation of art, who say, I'm not an artist. I'm not creative. I've never been creative. Well, for one, you're living for a label that doesn't matter. You don't need to be labeled creative. And you certainly don't need to label yourself creative or not creative. You just need to do shit. If you like doing it, the thing about creativity is that it has no definition, not really. We all have stereotypes. You know, we might have a stereotypical idea of a token prototypical artist, like an artist, maybe it's some hippie looking person and they, they, you know, they, they smoke their weed and they veg out and they create their art, you know, and they don't wear shoes and, and whatever dumb stereotype that you might see in a movie of some batshit artist. I'm an artist, man, a real pompous sort of inner city artist, real you know, sort of Greenwich Village 1967 type of pompousness or whatever stereotype you want to throw at it. They're all stupid because everybody's different. You can be the most outwardly calm, conservative, unassuming human being and still be an artist. Okay. You can be wild and crazy and eccentric and exhibitionist and be an artist. So this idea that I'm not really creative. I continue to make photography every day. I continue to do my paintings every day, but I'm not really creative. And then if you tell somebody, actually you are, <laughs> don't, don't do that to yourself. They say, actually I'm not. Um, I struggle quite a bit to come up with anything. I rarely come up with anything new and everybody else does and I'm not creative. Okay. You're not creative. What you are is uh, just not everyone else. Okay. You're trying to cite facts on something that's, abstract. You can't. You can't. Okay. I can try to cite facts about my daughter not doing X, Y, Z that my sons can because it's safer. It's safer, you see. I can try to cite facts on that, but you can't. 
have any reference material and say, well, you see, let me tell you why I'm not creative because of X, Y, Z. Creativity has no definition. So if you're telling yourself you're not creative and you're holding yourself back and dogging yourself constantly with that idea, then what you are doing is perpetuating a systemic problem, a systemic bias in yourself. Okay. Now, another thing, speaking of my kids, my 17-year-old, when I were talking the other day about a great many things, and one thing he said, which I thought was interesting, which is nothing new, but he said, man, when you go online in different communities that he participates in, mostly for gaming, but other things, um, he said, it's funny how the top people, whether they're acknowledged for being the top ranking in something, or just known the people who are in the circle that everyone knows and, and generally admires and they love their work, and they're all, for lack of a better term, they're considered successful, they are successful, and they're considered the luminaries in their whatever they do, right? He said, why are those people so often self-critical, like to the point where, especially online, because people will post things, in our case, maybe a photo or a piece of music or something like that, but people will post and then say, well, here it is. And someone will go, this is fantastic, amazing work. And the person comes back with, eh, you know, it didn't exactly work out the way I wanted. This is not what I was really envisioning. They had technical issues on this and that, but you know, it, it worked for what it was. And my 17 year old wants to know, why is it that the top, top people do that? <laughs> and the well-known established people do that. And why is it that the people who are just up and coming and learning are the most arrogant? And so that was an interesting conversation. I laugh because I think we all know. Uh, what causes that? And we've all heard about, you know, the Dunning-Kruger effect and everything else. And it's all true. And we can have long conversations about that concept, you know, about the amateur thinks that they're on high for a minute and then they hit a, a very hard reality and fall down. You don't even have to be a malicious asshole to have that fall. It's going to happen when you start something new. Um, and going back to our, an early episode of this podcast, we mentioned the four distinct levels of functioning. Um, we talk about the master versus the expert specifically, and how the master is an expert who committed himself further, right? And then we talk about how the genius can move very quickly. They're extremely rare, but a genius cannot gain experience without time, you can't avoid it. And that's why geniuses often are mentored by, by masters. So with that idea in mind, when you are at a certain experience level, when you are regularly succeeding and you're acknowledged for it, that comes with time and you kind of realize it. But what is it that causes them, anybody in a revered role or just, just successful role? What causes them to be, well, negative for lack of a better term? That's their own systemic bias. They're constantly comparing themselves and they believe it. It's not, it's not that they're just being negative. They have convinced themselves of it. They have bought and swallowed every single justification and rationale, and they believe it. They have a systemic bias in themselves, and you can't talk them out of it. You probably tried. Maybe you've been that person, and no one can talk you out of it. But here's, here's the dumbest part of it all. You can turn it off as fast as you turn it on, because it's not real. And that's the hard part, because it feels fucking real. But it's not. It's not, okay? Real is you walk outside to your driveway and your car has four flat tires. That's real as hell. You're not going anywhere. That sucks. You did not imagine that, okay? But the idea that you're not creative 
and that your work really isn't all that good. And it never really is. And this piece could have been something and it could have been something else, but it wasn't. And I'm not really this. And I, I'm not as good as people say. And I, you can turn that off. You can turn it off. And if you're already in this mode of just engulfed in your own self-deprecation and systemic bias of yourself, it, it's not too much of a stretch to bring you back to zero. What I mean is you don't want to ramp up to arrogance. That's stupid. You're probably, if you're experienced enough and you're doing well, you're probably smart enough to not go to arrogance, though we are shown plenty of counterexamples every day. You're probably smart enough and wise enough to not go into arrogance, but ramp it up back to zero. Find your level of zero. Because, you know, we live in a social media world and we're over-communicating constantly. But we're artists. We want to show our work. We want people to hear it, see it, consume it, etc. We want people to see it. But we're a little bit overstimulated, aren't we? Now, we could argue that some people have it more under control. But, you know, as a rule, we're a little overstimulated on social media. So, here's a thought. Put your work out there and shut the hell up. Let the work speak for itself. You get a compliment, say thank you. That's it. Someone says, oh my God, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. You're amazing. Oh my God. They're just like to tears. But you say, I appreciate that. Stop over communicating. Stop trying to fabricate and manufacture experiences, interactions, and emotions. If you are struggling to, you know, echo what people are saying about your work, shut up. Just say thank you. Go back to zero. You don't have to agree with people. Yeah, I am pretty badass, aren't I? And you don't have to disagree. Well, that's not what you think it is. It's not that great. It didn't work out like I wanted. Stop both and shut the hell up. Thank you is all that required. I'm trying to, as I go through all this in my podcast episodes, and I think about my topics. They all stem from what I'm dealing with. You want a window into what the hell I'm dealing with on any given week? Listen to this podcast. That's what I deal with constantly. And I don't always solve it just because I talk about it for 20 minutes, but I try to keep it in mind. Okay. I am fairly confident in the work that I do, but I know what it's like to not feel confident. More to the point, I know what it's like to participate in a systemic bias and a systemic problem. And then I have to go, wait, I'm doing this and I shouldn't be doing it. Okay, so keep that in mind about systemic problems. You are probably, almost certainly, participating in it and you may not realize it. Or you realize it and you justify it. You can change these things. Just like if we go back to the sexism or the racism or any other bias, a large-scale social bias, you can choose to turn it off. You can just stop hating somebody for who they happen to be. You can. You can just choose to stop. But if you're wrapped up in all these justifications that don't mean anything, you're going to feel impossible to change your mind. Who knows why? Now, social bias is a, another discussion for another time and a contentious one as hell, and I'm not going to go there right now. But the bias that you have inside yourself, the systemic problems that you have in yourself, you can't turn them off. You can just flip the fucking switch and turn them off. You really can. And once you realize that, then you're going to have power uh, unlimited power to be at ease. So as a quick recap, you're probably participating in systemic bias about yourself if you're always dogging on yourself and you don't think you're worth anything. You can stop that instantly. If you're putting your art out there and you feel over overstimulated by social media, stop talking so much. 
let the work speak for itself and just say polite thank yous. Okay. And remember, you can't turn this off. And if you feel like you can't, keep at it. Keep trying at it. Retraining, relearning is hard because it requires unlearning. Learning brand new stuff it can be challenging, but it's easy compared to unlearning. We're breaking habits. We're breaking addictions. It's hard. You know, mental addictions are hard, real hard. Okay. I deal with them. Everyone deals with them. So just keep that in mind. If you are participating in something that you don't think you are, you're rationalizing and justifying, you can identify it and acknowledge it. You can move to make change and then you can just stop. You really, really can just stop.